Then Jesus said to them, the apostles, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Again, they're journeying to the Mount of Olives here, and this situation takes place. So Jesus, first of all, quotes Zechariah that as the chief shepherd, he's the good shepherd that lays on his life for the sheep, that he's going to be struck this night and all will be made to scatter. And Paul the apostle said that the apostles are on display like in a death sentence to their pride, their flesh, and that they're made a spectacle to the world, but their death is producing life in the believers. And as much as I don't like the sheep being scattered, to be honest, in a form of self-preservation, I don't like the shepherd being struck either because I'm the shepherd, right? You know, so you can get a little bit of humor there, but it's not you just have to laugh. But the reality is, I've said this before, that as a pastor of a church and a leader of a congregation, and this would apply to women in leadership too, shepherds and shepherdesses, you know, we are on display because we live by faith and we're, we're called to encourage God's people to live by faith. So therefore, we're on display for our faith. And we go through things. The God of all comfort has to comfort us in our afflictions that we might comfort others. And people come to church and they, they need to be encouraged and people need to be comforted and built up. And so it's a reality of being in leadership that we go through things that give us depth of character that we might be able to be comforted by the Lord and brought through those things by the Lord that we might be able to minister to and build up other people. If you come to church and you're going through a hard time, you're going through a testing, you're going through a trial, you're going through a tribulation, or you're even going through a tragedy. When you go up and you pray with someone, a deacon, a deacon's wife, a pastor, a pastor's wife, you want to pray with someone and you want to be with someone who has depth of character. You actually want to be a place like you you couldn't relate to this but but then actually you can relate to it and you can say well it's not about me but i do know what it's like to lose a loved one i do know what it's like to be fired unjustly i do know what it's like to be slandered and maligned unfairly i do know what it's like to have conflict with adult siblings with elderly parents estates and stuff i i do know what this is like i do know what it's like to bury my my parent you know i do so we get those experiences in life anyways but in the body of christ The church is a place, when Paul talked about speaking prophecy, we speak words of edification, encouragement, and comfort. And it's really important. So I just have to say in ministry leadership that we we are going, you know, as we serve, we go through those experiences and that we can comfort other people as they go through those things. Okay, so this passage where Jesus says, it's a prophecy concerning Zechariah from the Old Testament concerning Jesus. And Jesus says it's going to happen right now. Now, what's interesting is like he's a shepherd. He's going to be struck. He's been preparing him for it. But they're the sheep. They're going to be scattered. And before this chapter is done, we won't see it tonight. We'll see it next week. They're all scattered. They're scattered, which adds insight to this because I mentioned this recently. I don't know if it was last week or in the study Saturday, but we might be surprised by our failures, but God is never surprised by our failures. Our, he allows things to show us what's in us. And like, wow, I just did not, I could not see that coming, that I could be that foolish or fall on my face like that. 
It might catch us by surprise, but it doesn't catch the Lord by surprise. And here, before the sun rises in the morning, these 11 apostles, not counting Judas, who is the betrayer, they're gonna, the sun's going to rise, and they're just going to be so overwhelmed by a sense of shame and embarrassment for their failures with the Lord as they would see themselves in the mirror. But before that happened, we have this text tonight where Jesus said to strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And then Peter goes, oh, no, not so. Now, here's where we want to focus, apart from some application I just covered about leadership and, and how we go through things. And it's just part of the process to be more effective in leadership of ministry. In verse 29, Peter says, even if all are made to stumble, I will not be. It's a very profound statement in that there's two things. Not only is Peter confident in himself, not only is he confident in himself that he would never fail the Lord, but he compares himself to the others that he's better than them. It's a dangerous place, right? And the Old Testament we read in Proverbs that pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. And it's just a reality that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And Again, it doesn't surprise the Lord when we embarrass ourselves or fall on our face and think we can do something that we can't do. You know, and the world wants us to be, we can do whatever we want to. You know, like, I mean, you look at Nike commercials and it's like, it's only a dream until, you know, until you make it a reality and stuff like this. And that's how the world thinks. In fact, my wife and I were on a walk on the beach boardwalk the other day in Huntington Beach and a, and a, shirt, a person walked by in a shirt and it was for Under Armour and it said, I can do all things. Because that's all it said, and that's a, that's a half a verse in the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You cannot do all things. And you can claim you can do all things for the rest of your life, but you cannot do all things. And even though I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, the context isn't that you're a world champion or win the goal. The context is God will bring you through everything and anything because you're trusting in him and clinging to him no matter what life brings you. That's a lesson I had to learn in understanding that verse. Because before I was born again, that was my verse for I could be the world champion in surfing. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. He's the genie in the sky. I just claim that I'm going to be a world champion, and I can do it because I can do it through Christ. It's like, no, that's not how it works. Years later in Vermont, when I was just felt like I was losing my mind, the Lord's like, okay, you're not losing your mind because you can do all things to Christ who strengthens you. You can come through this. And this is how this verse really is applied. It's, it's, in, our, it's in our culture of course, community is a big part of the new generation, like, that we can do all things. But, I mean, I was like, really? I saw this shirt. I go, I can do all things. Like, what a, you know, because I'm on Instagram for years being a coach, I had, you know, get after it. So how the algorithms work, I have to see everybody's get after it post if I go to my Instagram. Everyone that does hashtag get after it. So anyone around the world putting get after it, which is like, I can do all things without Christ in many cases, I got to see it. So I just have to see all this stuff all the time through algorithms of my social media, what people think they can do. And I'm not trying to beat people down. I mean, we did put a Jeep on Mars. I mean, it broke down, but I mean, we got it there, right? So I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but like, we can't do all things. And sooner or later, life will crush you because someone you love died and you couldn't keep them alive and you couldn't bring them back from the grave. And there's an accident and someone's paralyzed and no matter what you do, you can't make that person walk again. And you got fired, and no matter how much you claim that's still your job, you're not getting your job back. And now they have security escort you off the property. You can go to court and try and get your rights, and you might have a, a, a jury go against you when the truth is not known. And people lie. We got Jesus' trial in the back end of this chapter, and everyone's lying. They can't even collaborate their testimony. 
we have to be really careful that we think we're something special because all that we are is in the Lord. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's the sister verse, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is interesting. Put those two verses together. Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Jesus in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's an all or nothing proposition with Jesus. And these apostles who are going to lead the church, change the world, take on Roman strength, Greek philosophies in the next generation and turn the world upside down or literally right side up with the gospel message. They're going to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what, what did God say in the book of Zechariah, interestingly enough, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And even with Zechariah in the Old Testament connecting it, he was to rebuild the temple after the captivity without going into detail. And God said, who are you, O mountain, to stand before my servant Zerubbabel? Before him, I'll level you like a plane because my servant will do what I purposed him to do. See, it is God who wills and works with us for his good pleasure. The lesson from Peter and the apostles is that Paul said it best to the Corinthian church. If anyone thinks they stand, take heed lest they fall. Our confidence needs to always be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our confidence needs to be in the power of the Holy Spirit working in our life in the character. Our confidence needs to be in the upper call of God in Christ Jesus to see us through whatever the day is going to bring us and whatever we might be facing. Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you that you would go bear fruit. And sometimes we think of fruit like, oh, we're building the empire or the kingdom of God. No, sometimes the fruit is we're just standing. Having done all, stand. Sometimes the fruit is just that you don't quit. That's sometimes what it is when your life's on display for all the world to see how your faith is working in your actions, your reactions, and proactive and reactive. Peter would change the world. But how self-deceived he was in verse 29 when he said, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Not only will I not fall, I'm better than these guys. I'm the best. Of your, of your team, I am the best guy on this team. These are the things, you know, the Bible's full of lessons of, of men and women who learn these lessons. Moses thought he would deliver the Israel when he was in Egypt at the age of 40 when he killed the Egyptian afflicting the Israelite. And then he had to flee for his life, and 40 years later he was sent back with this staff in his hand, the staff of the Lord. It took him 40 years between the age of 40 and 80 to learn it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not accomplished in the flesh. It's accomplished in the spirit by the power of God and his timing. And then you see the apostles, they said in verse 31, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said it. So Peter said it again. I mean, Jesus said, no, I got to tell you, man, this is, this is the big night and you're going to fail. And Peter's like, no, no, you got all wrong. And then they say the same thing because they're not going to let Peter get the upper hand. Hey, we're, we're, all, we're not going to fail you. Hey, listen, before the night's over, they're all running for their lives and one of them naked. Maybe not one of the apostles, but one of the disciples. It's close. They're, they're terrified. Our confidence needs to be in Jesus Christ, who he is working in our life, his promises to us, and that he's going to see us through. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But apart from him, we can't do nothing. If anyone thinks they stand apart from the Lord, take heed lest they fall. You can wear a shirt that says, I can all day long, but there 
But there's a lot of things you can't. And no matter how much you think you can, son of Adam, daughter of Eve, you can't. But since we're chosen by Jesus Christ for the work of Jesus Christ, and we're saved by Jesus Christ and becoming like Jesus Christ, we can have all the assurance in the world when we wake up every morning as we seek the Lord that he will equip us for everything he has for us on the day and what the day will bring. And isn't that comforting? Pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Verse 32, then they came to a place, so that all happened in the journey. Then they came to a place which named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, stay here and watch. And he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. We'll stop there. Now, Jesus, of course, was born for this purpose. He said, I always do those things that please the Father. For this purpose, I came. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, he would declare in Luke 24 that all scripture is fulfilled in him, all those Old Testament prophecies concerning him, that he'd lived the perfect sin, that he'd born of the virgin, according to the book of Isaiah, supernatural, that he lived a perfect sinless life, and he would be crucified for our sins. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53. Typology in Genesis, in Genesis 22, when Abraham took Isaac up to the Mount of uh, Moriah, the same place where Jesus would be crucified 2,000 years later. Spoken prophetically through the prophet David, 1,000 B.C., describing the cross, what it looked like from the view of the cross as through the eyes of Jesus. It's all there. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Satan offered a shortcut to establishing his reign over all things. Jesus' reign. Just throw yourself out of this temple and all that is mine I'll give to you. But that was not the Father's plan for the redemption of human souls given into sin and condemned in sin as descendants of Adam and Eve. And it was not the plan for redeeming the planet, let alone the universe. In Revelation chapter 6, we see that the planet, that human souls, the planet and the entire universe for a new heaven and new earth is redeemed because Jesus Christ did go to the cross, did die an unjust death as a criminal capital punishment in our place, and he did rise from the grave physically for our hope and our justification. And there was no other way. There wasn't a shortcut by jumping off the temple going like, ooh, ah, look, I really am the Messiah. No, he had to be on the cross and be blasphemed against and spit upon and beaten. That was the road to redemption for our sins, which is very costly. There was no other way. And so here's Jesus. We're told in Luke chapter 9 that he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem in obedience to the Father. And the purpose of his coming was beyond the great teachings and living a perfect sinless life. The purpose of his coming was to die the death on the cross as a criminal in our place. And only through that sinless life is he the acceptable sacrifice for us. There's no other way. And so this is the apex of his coming. And so here he is. He had his 70, he had his 12, Judas is gone, he's the betrayer, now 11, and he has the big three, Peter, John, and James. And on this night, he already said that he's going to be flicked, struck, they're going to be scattered, and in the garden, he has the 11, then he takes the three, and then he goes past them. Follow the sequence, 11 in the garden, they've already lost Judas, the betrayer. 11. They, all, they went there regularly. 
Then he takes the three from the 11. So the eight are left over here and the three come here. There's distance in each of these groups. And here's something that really gets my attention. There's eight billion people on this planet and it's a lot of white noise. But in the end, it comes down in your life to not that many people. It's your immediate family with you, above you, beneath you, perhaps. I used to pray for four kids that were like going to Calvary Chapel High School or junior high or MCA. And they became adults and they went away to college and they married people. So I pray for their wives and I pray for the families we married into. So we pray for the Gallagher's and the Bradley's and the Smith's every day. And the future, you know, if Timmy's ever going to get married, his future wife, who she might be, and that God's hand would be in it. And as I pray for those families, now I pray for the Gallagher boys, Trevor and James and Shane, Nate's brothers, and their wives, and his grandfather, Mike and Sandy, you know, who are moving toward mid-70s now. And we know what that looks like. And so you have this immediate sphere of people that generally is your family and going through Genesis and just seeing the tribe. You know, you got Abraham, Isaac, and the wives, and Jacob, and the wives, and the kids, and life happens, and good things, and bad things, and God honors his word, but you got to get rid of your idols, and your daughter gets raped, and the boys kill and avenge her, and all. It's life, man. Life gets messy. You dig wells, and they belong to your dad, and someone says they belong to them. Isaac, well of contention, well of quarreling. Man, life is gnarly business. But in the end, you have family. And there's a biblical model for family, of course, a man and a woman. And you have the generations. And then you have your friends. And in Jesus' name, it's the spiritual family, which actually supersedes the physical family. So here we are, family. How are you doing tonight? We're the body of Christ. And Danny's my brother. I've got a fleshly brother that lives in Boise that I talked to the other day to update on my dad and the dog and all these things. But I got a spiritual brother. I got lots of spiritual brothers in this room right now. Clyde, Lance, Bill. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're, we're a spiritual family. But we have a regular family and a spiritual family. And then we might have coworkers and acquaintances. When you do a funeral, and I've done a lot of them, the people that come to funerals are families. They're usually in the front. And then there's friends, maybe high school friends, coworkers, people that care. Neighbors, right? Isn't it? You know, there's always neighbors. There's always neighbors. They watch you grow up. They get older. You know, there's, there's neighbors that care. And then there's just like, maybe because you're involved in surfing, there's people from the surf industry, or maybe there's this and that. But there's not a lot of people. You know, these, you have famous people, they come home to big houses, and sometimes there's 20 rooms and 15 bathrooms, and it's an $8 million home in Malibu, and you're the only one living in it. And there's no love in it, and there's no family. The world's filled with lonely people. And you know what I have found is the critical things of life that you have to face inevitably, you can have immediate family, spouses, adult children, younger children. You can have church family. And you can have extended people that care about you that might be saved or aren't saved. I see it all at funerals. I've done a couple this year already. But in the end, it's you and the Lord. In the end, when you're facing eternity, it's you and the Lord. It's you and the Lord. You can have other people. In the, you, when you pass, you might have someone by your side, but you might be alone. You know, my grandmother, Esther, passed away. I was the first one in the room. She had just passed. 
It was January 7, 2000. It was the new millennium. We, we survived Y2K, right? Remember? We survived it. And I was going to go visit her. Last time I saw her, I was sharing her, with her Bible verses with Paul. And 2 Timothy chapter 4, I fought the good fight. She was very afraid to step into eternity. And I was going to go see her. And I walked in the room, and she had just passed. She was deceased. And they didn't even know it yet. It had just literally happened. She died alone. She died alone. Now, she spent Christmas with us at my mom's house across the street with Hannah, her great-granddaughter, and Leah, her great-granddaughter, and Timmy and Luke, her great-grandsons. I have the pictures from that Christmas at my mom's that year. But she died alone, and she was afraid to die alone. And I pointed her toward Jesus. Because in the end, we have to face the darkest moments, the testing, the trials, the tribulations, the tragedies, and yes, the transition to the next dimension. Ultimately, it's us and the Lord. See, when Jesus went to go plead with the Father, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me. If there's, please, play three times. But before he got to that prayer, he was with his 11, and then he was with his three, and then it was him and the Father. And we're all there to support one another. We're all there. When I walked in the room to, to pray with Trinity Jameson before she passed from cancer, like a day or two before, we, when you pull up to a house and the spirit of death is upon a house, it is very difficult. And when it's a child, it's much more difficult. And Jennifer and I were together. Jack McEwen, who leads us in worship, had just been, he was like 16 at the time, he'd just been there leading worship. And I can encourage Brian Jameson, I can encourage Heidi, but in the end, like, I walk out of that house, and they're facing that, and they can encourage their daughter, and I had baptized their daughter the year before, and they can encourage her, and they can be by her side, but still, even at 10, Heidi, excuse me, Trinity Jameson has to step into eternity between her and the Lord. It's like Pastor Joey and WG, they're all here, Jack and Joey and Jennifer and all them, they're here, and mom and dad, and my sisters are right here, but in the end, that last hour, at 10 years of age, it's her and the Lord stepping into eternity in the cognitive capacities of a 10-year-old and her faith with the Lord. And you say, well, that's a lot for a 10-year-old, but you know, when you get about 89 or 90 or in your 90s, it's almost like you're 10 again. You notice that? It's almost the same simple faith. Jesus said, unless you come like a child, you can by no means enter the kingdom of God. We come with childlike faith, we're sustained with childlike faith, and we finish the journey with childlike faith. And although this whole thing in the garden with Jesus and the distinction of the 11 and the three and by himself, what just grasped me is how it was, a, it was a solitary moment with the son and the father before they'll be separated with Jesus on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? What are you saying, Joey? I'm saying the heaviest things ultimately we face alone with our own faith. And that's why Jesus is the author and the finisher of faith. That's why he needs to be our mediator. That's why there's a priesthood of all believers. When I asked Bill or Luke, Lucas or Dana to pray about helping in the children's ministry, hey, seek the Lord. We could see this, but that's between, we need you to go. When we ask men about being deacons, hey, you know, Eric Estes, hey, you know what? You seek the Lord. We feel good about it. We've been praying for months, but you seek the Lord. This is, you know, and we respect that. When we ask Anthony and Keeley to pray about becoming a pastor, and he has 
Well, you met with every kid, right, Keely? And like, what do you think? And they're like, you know, their age differences showed their response to it, you know, and their, their worldviews. But we respect the priesthood of all believers. And when Martin Luther emphasized the priesthood of all believers back in the Reformation times, the emphasis was there's no priest that intercedes between you and Jesus. Jesus is our great high priest. And we can come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need. He is our mediator. He's who we come to. There's not a meteor between us and Jesus. It's not like Jesus is here and we got to go through Mary or the saints or a priest or Pastor Joey or anyone else. He died on the cross so we can go directly to him. And there are solitary moments that you and you alone will have with Jesus. Not just you and your spouse, but you and you alone. For testings, trials, tribulations, and tragedies. And I'm comforted by this passage. It just reminds me that my faith is my faith. And I share it with my wife and I share it with my children. But as I pray for my adult children, Lord, help them find traction with their own faith. Who knows what they might face in their journey, right? You with young adult children in their 20s or 30s, who knows? And even your younger children tonight, even like Petra here tonight, you know, like who knows what they might, you know what I'm saying? Like we can't, like they're going to face things and we might be there to help them through it. We might not be there to help them through it. What the main application is, we're never alone. Jesus said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And even as the Father, Jesus was forsaken by the Father just once for our sins, that we would never, ever be separated from the Father, ever, because of what Jesus did for us. He's our mediator. He's our big brother, Hebrews tells us. He's our great high priest. So even when you think it's just you, it's never just you. It's you and the Lord when Jesus is the author and finish of your faith. And we can cry out to him and we can call out to him and we may not feel like he's with us, but we're assured by the promises of his word that he is with us and he will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. And that's good to know because testings, trials, tribulation and tragedies happen to everybody. And there is no way to get through 80 years on this planet and not have your heart ripped out by the human experience. It's just not possible. We don't need to fear tomorrow. We stay in the moment of today and we know Jesus is with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us no matter what life brings us. Now, we see here another element. Jesus says in verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. That's just a one-verse application right there. Isn't that the prayer of the ages? Jesus in his humanity with his divinity, praying that there's another way. He knew it wasn't Satan's way, but praying there's another way. But there was no other way. And let me say this. When we think about our lives and the things that God allows in our lives, God's way is perfect. If we're seeking the Lord or people are praying for us and we don't know the Lord, but people are praying for us, they're moving the Lord against, you know, not against us, but for us, trying to stop us in our madness of rebelling against the Lord. There's a, there's a plan of the Lord and we need to trust in those plans of the Lord. And it's not our plan. Our prayers are not to get our will based upon our limited knowledge, our finite understanding accomplished on earth with our pride, our carnality, our worldliness. Even on our best day, it's skewed and it's imperfect. So our prayer is not about trying to move God from his perfect will, all-knowing, all-powerful, created with a purpose and a plan for this day. It's not trying to convince him to go along with our plan. It's trying to align our mind and our thoughts and our lives with his plan. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the healthiest prayer. God, your will be done is one of the easiest prayers you can ever pray. And it is the wisest prayer. I got to tell you, daily, there's things I pray for. Lord, I don't know your will in this, but your will be done. However you could redeem this, however you could work in this. You get these, you get these Rubik's Cubes of life where you just don't see how the color is ever going to match up on your Rubik's Cube. We had a wind chime years ago. It was such a cool wind chime. We got in Cambria one time on a, on a, on a family trip. Like That thing got, you know, the Huntington wind is different than the Carlsbad wind, you know, the North County wind, you know, the wind up here. And it just, that chime got so tangled up. And there was plenty of people that thought they could unwind that chime. We were oh for everything. No one ever unwound it. We had to chuck it. And, you know, it had, had emotion because it was a family vacation in Cambria, you know? Like, Cambria's cool. Like, it's, it's like a link to a special weekend, right? And that chime, we couldn't get it. Jacob's really good at stuff like that. When Jacob couldn't get it, I was like, this is a hopeless cause. Because Jacob can fix anything on your phone, your laptop, or your desktop. He's a pure millennial, like the best of the best of the millennials with that kind of stuff. Jacob can fix it. He couldn't fix it. There are things in life that are chimes that you cannot untangle. There are Rubik's Cubes you can't figure out. There are puzzles where it all looks the same and you're missing pieces and you don't even know it. Like, you're, you're stumped. You ever been stumped by a big puzzle? We got this hot air balloon puzzle with a, a thousand hot air balloons. They're all multicolored. Man, we got rolled by that puzzle. 1,500 pieces. Man, we put up the white flag early. It's like, man, they all look the same. We can't do it. You know, even Luke was like, why'd you get this puzzle? But there are things that we figure, we got this. Surely this is God's will that I get into this college. Surely this is God's will that it's going to go this way in this relationship. Surely this is God's will I get the raise. You know, it's like, yeah, you don't know. Talking with the Fosters, it's like, we like yes better than no, but no's clearer than yes. To get to God's yes, you get a lot of no's. We don't like the no process, but it will get us to the yes. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And of course, Jesus is going to the cross for our redemption, and that's the context, and we don't want to lose that. But just in our own lives, like, what can we take from Jesus praying to the Father? <laughs> just look at that prayer. Like, Abba, Father. That's intimate, of course, too. It's, re- it's relationship, not religion. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. That is a prayer of surrender. It's total. God, either you deliver us and you work this out, or there is no deliverance. But he will deliver us. He will work it out. And he is greater than our worst fears. He's got our back. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven, and he's a shield to all those who trust in him. So it's, it's okay. And knowing that it's okay, it's wise and prudent. You can know God's will in certain things because his word makes it clear, our sanctification, things like that. But you know, like when, you're, like when Luke applied for these different colleges, it's like, Lord, your will be done. He didn't get into Long Beach State. He didn't get into San Diego State. He can get into GCU, Grand Canyon, and the scholarships all line up. And, well, I guess that's what the Lord has for him. It just, we don't know it all. We might know what shirt we're going to wear or dress we're going to wear or what shoes we're going to wear and how we're going to buy the groceries and put gas in the car today, but we don't know what tomorrow holds. And that's why it says in James, you who say we're going to do this and that, you should just say if the Lord wills, we'll do this and this and that. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness this day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient is a trouble for today. 
someone says to you, what's your plan? It's like, you know what? Let's just let's go one day at a time. And my sister, a year and a half out of rehab, she's the queen of one day at a time. You know, that's what they always say with the rehab programs. And like, but you don't need to be in rehab to know one day at a time. We have today. We stay in the moment. It's us and him with lots of people that we love, close group, farther out, you know. But in the end, it's his will. And we don't want to wrestle with God's will. We want to be in tune with God's will. Now we just read on this final text for tonight. Verse 37, Jesus said, Then he came, it says in verse 37, Then he, Jesus, came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Next week, when we come back to the text, we'll pick up both Judas the betrayer and the events of the confrontation and the arrest of Jesus. We will also pick up Peter's denial because you get them both, isn't it? It's amazing. We're going to get the clarity of Judas's betrayal and the details of Peter's denial. But one thing we can't get past, verse 38, we just have to stop there just for a closing thought. Jesus said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And isn't that life? I think we can all relate to that. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Romans chapter 7 is a mystery chapter of the Bible, and that Paul talks about the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I know I should do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can redeem me from this? And people always say, often say when they, you read commentaries on Romans 7 with Paul, is he talking about before Christ or after Christ being saved in his relationship? It's like, well, does it matter? Doesn't it just describe how life is? The things you want to do that you think you should do, you don't do. At the end of the day, like, I can't believe I didn't go back and say I was sorry. Or I didn't, you know, help that person out. Or, and then things that you don't want to do, like, why did I yell at that person? Like, why was I like that? Like, why did I get so weird at Target for nothing? Like, it's no big deal. Like, what's the deal? Like, you know, like, we're human beings. The spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And we, we are prone in our old nature toward pride, selfishness, worldliness. But in the new nature in Christ, we're prone toward humility, others, and the kingdom. And that's why it's so important we seek first the kingdom of God on a daily basis. It's, you know, think of the the errors you make in life when you're seeking the Lord. How much harder if you're not? And how many more if you don't? It's like baseball. Like, you practice, practice, practice. You still make errors. You can be the best shortstop in major leagues. You're, you know. Manny Machado's still going to make an error for the Padres this year. Sooner or later, he's going to make an error. Like, he's their big defensive star. And practice, practice can be the best in the world. Sooner or later, you're going to make an error. How many more if you don't practice and you're not prepared for it, right? Like, you just showed up like, hey, wow. You know, it's like, so as we seek the Lord and press into the Lord and we're truly walking with the Lord and abiding with the Lord, we're going we're gonna to have more fruitful things than not. We're going to handle more things properly than not. We're going to be growing as opposed to regressing. We're going to avoid ruts, and we're just going to be, we're going to be blooming. Yeah, and God's going to prune dead branches. He's going to prune good branches. And we're going to ask him, why did you prune the good one? And I understand the dead one, but why the good one? And we may never know in this life. But in the end, the Spirit is willing, 
but the flesh is weak. So the wisest thing we can do is get up with our spirit and agree with the Holy Spirit that God's kingdom come in our life and seek it and go after it and realize, yeah, the flesh, as Pastor Chuck used to say, don't feed the flesh because it's never satisfied. The flesh says more, more, more. And you can't appease the flesh. You can't make a peace treaty with the flesh. What does Jesus say to do with our flesh? Crucify it. We crucify the flesh. <laughs> yeah? So be encouraged in our humanity that Jesus is a great high priest, our great high priest, available to each one of us through faith in him to empathize with our weaknesses and to keep us going forward and just growing.